Welcome to Stoveside Chat. The chef is ready for your kitchen tour. Please come this way. So uh, thanks again, um, uh, Chef, for uh, joining us, Chef Shepherd. Uh, obviously, uh, taking time out of your schedule. So let's uh, start with you introducing yourself to our uh, audience. Then, yeah, um, my name is Chris Shepherd, chef owner of uh, Underbelly Hospitality, which is um, UB Preserve One Fifth Georgia James and Hay Merchant uh, Georgia James Tavern, and then a couple more to be named later kind of like good baseball trades um, and uh, co-founder of Southern Smoke. Nice. A lot More of, uh, a lot of uh, ventures you, you're running there. It's definitely for, for a lot of busy and uh, you had a background. You grew up uh, Nebraska. Am I correct? I was born in Nebraska and then I was, we moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma um, when I was one. It's kind of where I grew up uh, and you know, just kind of did what I was going to do as a, a kid. Never really found what I wanted to do until I started cooking. So that's kind of your, uh, your passion when you, when, once you started cooking and, and find out that's what you wanted to do for life. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know this is back in the nineties, um, early nineties. And, you know, I, I knew I didn't want to work on computers and I knew I didn't want to, like do somebody's taxes or what have you. So, um, you know, I enjoyed cooking for friends and then I, I got a job as a dishwasher and a sushi bar and, uh, you know, peeled shrimp and scrubbed eel pots for a very long time, you know, but I shouldn't say very long time, a year. Uh, and then moved into the kitchen as the tempura guy. And then, you know, my boss, kind of showed me everything that he could and then told me I should go to culinary school. And I asked him, I, well, I don't know what that is. And uh, <laughs> he was like, it's really teach you to cook. And I was like, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And so, um, so I moved to Houston. Right. So that's kind of, uh, you start from sort of literally from the bottom, kind of uh, work your way up and uh, in the industry sort of. Yeah. Right. You know, I feel that's a good move for me because I understand what it's like to get in the dish pit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, prior to obviously you worked for other restaurants as well, but, uh, you know, prior to under opening Underbelly, which is your own place in 2012, uh, you, you took some, uh, my research, you took some informal cooking classes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from a lot of uh, immigrants own restaurants in the area mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a lot of them have sort of an Asian background. So, uh, how did you build that relationship? You know, why did you choose those places? And, uh, you know, one of the things that maybe you've learned culturally and also from a culinary standpoint. Well, that was the thing is like, you know, I, when I moved here, I, I didn't understand. Right. And, and I, I, when I go into culinary school, like, it's just basically French technique, you know, and that's baking and searing and sauteing and braising and like all of these proper French culinary things. Right. And, what really enthralled me was going out to, you know, like after dinner service, we go to Mai's and which is, this, it's just, it still is this beautiful little Vietnamese restaurant um, in Midtown. It's open till four in the morning. And it was, you know, learning a little bit, like getting my toes in the water, not really understanding, like 
I don't want fish sauce. I want I want the peanut sauce. And then finally, one of my buddies just was like, you know, I had a bun bowl and he just dumped, you know, the knock mom on it. And he was like, now eat it. And I was like, ooh, this makes sense. You know, and once you start to understand your palate and understand like, you know, flavors that are so important, the freshness, the herbaceousness, the like the funky, the spicy, the sweet, the salty. Um, once you kind of progress as a cook, like you start to challenge yourself to figure those things out. But, you know, it was after that, like going out and it was like this little Thai place, uh, being Thai. And I ordered some stuff and the guy was like, no. And I was like, what do you mean? No. And he's like, I know you eat here all the time, man, but that's not for you. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I couldn't wrap my head around that. I was like, well, I, don't, I don't get it. And he's like, man, that's for the Thai. That's not for you. And I was like, but I want that. And he was like, all right, fine. Surly old man named Don. <laughs> like, I still remember him. It was a long time ago. Uh, and it was a dish called Yum Nim, uh, which is like um, a, a pickled preserved sausage, right? Raw. But with like a lot of onion and ginger and peanuts and herbs and and uh, fish sauce. And it was delicious. I mean, it, it could... They do it in a Vietnamese style too, but this was the Thai style. And I was like, I want everything else that I'm not supposed to eat. And he's like, all right. And it was like the door opened. And, but then it, I started eating around the city and we were doing these culinary tours with the um, Houston uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau, right? So it was who handles conventions coming into town and, you know, tourism. And uh, uh, it's actually, it's funny. She's now my wife um, at the time, got me and like three other chefs together. And was like, how do we promote the city through food? And, and you know, you guys, all your restaurants, and this was back in the day of, uh, of Catalan before Underbelly. And the questions were like, how do we take people to your restaurants and how do we get people to understand that, that Houston is like a dining scene now? And I was like, well, that just would suck. Right. Like, I, I don't think that we, people are going to read about our restaurants and come anyway, but they really need to see the underlying part of the city. They need to see all of the, the people that live in Houston because, you know, Houston is the most culturally diverse city in the country. Um, and the, and it's through its food as well. And so uh, I was like, well, let's just take people to where we go eat. And, and everybody's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, we don't go to our places. We just take people to go eat where we eat. Like, I want somebody to experience that yum nim that I had at the Thai place. I want somebody to experience fish sauce for the first time. I want to push people outside of their, their boundaries and their, what they know of is like dining. Because Houston is built on freeways. Um, you know, a lot of people live you know, 20 minutes outside of 30 minutes outside of town and they're because they get more land, a bigger house. And then they drive into downtown and they never see the, the, the offshoots of the city. They don't see the actual city. They just see what's on the freeway. When you just eat on the freeway, well, that's very one dimensional, right? Mm -hmm. um, who, who needs to eat at sweet tomatoes that many times, you know, or loop, like whatever Denny's or like, that's not, that's not a dining scene. Um, and so it really forced me to go out and start to learn. And so I would go sit in restaurants over and over and over again and just try, because if I'm going to bring people there, 
I need to not just have gone eaten there once. I need to know the story. I need to know why. I need to know what, you know, how these dishes are thought through and how they're created and like, what's the historical aspect of it? And why are you just doing it? Cause you love it. Like, what is it? Um, so it would just tend me to, you know, I'd sit at restaurants and I'd talk and then finally I'd be like, Hey, can I, can you show me how to do that? And, and you know, there was a lot of no's, you know, a lot of no's until they finally I wore them down, you know? Um, and so I'd go and stage, you know, people go stage all over the world in these fancy restaurants. And I went and staged in Vietnamese restaurants and Szechuan restaurants and Thai restaurants and Indian restaurants. And, you know, and, and um, these people became my family, you know, and that was more about understanding people than it was food at the end of the day. Right. But you can, you have to start somewhere. And that was my thing was you have to start with food, right? And that food brings everybody together. Um, because no matter what, at the end of the day, what you think about uh, political values or human value, whatever it may be, right? We can always sit and, and talk over food. And so that was very important to me um, was to understand what we were, what we were serving, what we were talking about. But more than that, it was more about getting people to understand, like through these culinary tours, like understand the restaurants we were going to. You know, why are we going to go talk to the Patels, like at, at London Sizzler, because they're awesome. You know, and and why are we going to go talk to Jacqueline uh, Saigon Pagalak and her, hear her story of why that that restaurant's been there for thirty years. Right. Like why? Like, and, and so now it was not so much. And that's where underbelly came in. Right. Underbelly was, you know, the side of things not seen. And to me, that's what Houston is. And that was, and it still is to this day, it's still like undiscovered by most people because again, they live on freeways. But if we can start to talk about, you know, here's fish sauce, here's gochujang. Here's something that like I can create that's not like I'm never going to make a bowl of pho, right? I'm never going to give somebody a bowl of pho and say, yeah, I made pho. No, I'm going to give you the flavors of pho and then say, hey, you need to go try this person out down here now, right? You need to go try the real thing. I'm just going to give you a little taste. I'm going to get you acquainted with it. But now it's your world is open, right? All these things that you were afraid of are not, you're not afraid of anymore. Now gochujang is a normal thing to you, but also it's Korean barbecue down on Long Point because now you've ventured down to go do that as well. And so that's kind of the, the thought process. Right. I think that's very interesting as far as, you know, the, the human side of things, it's not just the food, but it's really the connection, especially, you know, in, in this environment after COVID, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I guess uh, issues with the Asian, you know, uh, community, with the body larger in whole, I think that's a very important point to make is that there is that connection with people, not just, you know, um, you know, where, you know, whoever you are, you know, there's always a connection to be made that way. Yeah, it has to be right. That's the human aspect of life. And that's the, that's what makes you a better human being. Like support everybody, man. I mean, I, I say it all the time to the people around me here. And they're like, they're like, shut up. 
but like we all live on this little ball and we spin the same direction, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just do it together. Like, it's not that hard. Yeah, we live in the same place, right? Yeah, <laughs> no matter what. We, we, all, we all share this thing called the planet, you know? Like, it's not that, you know, pretty easy. Right. So. so then, you know, how do you actually, you know, when you start getting more experience and more, um, I guess, uh, knowledge, if you will, in sort of the, uh, the Asian or, or just more so not the traditional French cooking, how do you integrate the two worlds? Like, how do you put the shit together? How do you decide, you know, what flavors go with what kind of thing? I mean, this goes back to Underbelly days. It was the, um, you know, we didn't. So we opened Underbelly in 2012. It was a whole animal restaurant. So mind you, when you say that, people are like, well, I mean, yeah, it's 50 seats. No, this was 220 seat restaurant that only dealt with whole animal and only local, local everything. Right. We bought staples, flour, sugar, herbs, garlic, citrus, but everything else, all the produce came from our local farms. Right. And so you got, you know, you could ask people to grow certain things for you or you could just grow, you know, they just just give me what you do best. Right. And then we would take those dishes and kind of tweak them. Like, I think the, you know, one of my favorite dishes is, is, um, caramelized fish sauce chicken wings right go to you know go to one of my vietnamese restaurants and get these little chicken wings that are just cooked down and you know fish caramel it's just it's the best right it's the best um but underbelly we couldn't we couldn't get enough chicken wings right because like we had to buy the whole like you go through whole chickens like Man, just an order of chicken wings, that's like six chickens. That's, that's three chickens, right? That's a, that's a lot. How do you go through 40 orders a night? Like, that's insane. Like, where do I do with all these breasts and thighs? You know, like, that's just, and then I'm just depleting the chicken population in our local economy. Like, that just doesn't make sense, right? And so um, we did it with fried vegetables. Like, we would take, um, you know, our farmers are always like, hey, can you use more Brussels sprouts? Hey, can you use more, more green beans? Hey, can you use, you know, how much okra can you take? Because in here, like, everybody's going to grow the same thing at the same time, you know? And so it's like, all right, well, here's here here's a lot of okra. And so we would just cut that, you know, drop it in the fryer, fry it real quick, and then toss it in caramelized fish sauce. And that became kind of like our market vegetable, right? That was the dish. But what it was was, Either it was always either broccoli, cauliflower, green beans, okra, Brussels sprouts. That's about it. That's about it. Um, but and we could use that year round, and we could just turn through vegetables, right? We would just crank through, you know, all of this farmer product because they're they, one. They're sitting on it like ah, I got a lot of broccoli, and it's like okay, well let's go because like what if, if we do fancy little broccoli dishes it's going to suck like you're going to go through like two heads but now i can go through two cases um and so uh but it got people to taste fish sauce it got people to like ooh what is this and it's like well this is what it is and there was a story behind it and we talked the stories we definitely told the stories of all the people that we you know we wanted to emphasize and you know or you know the chaka the Chaka is another one of those dishes. Oh, shit. I just, the goat and dumplings. 
that was a dish that is still on the menus and we still do and can never get rid of it. Or there'll be riots in the streets and it's dokboki, right? It's rice sticks and, and gochujang and beer and butter and braised goat and onion and bene seed. And, you know, it's, you know, that's traditionally like a classic Korean street food, if you will. It's kind of sweeter, but, um, you know, we wanted, I made it a little bit spicier and it was supposed to only go on the menu as a placeholder for one night. And, uh, and that just didn't work. Like the last night of service, we did a hundred and I think it was 136 orders of that. Huh? 142, um, orders of that the last night of service. And so like that just became every table got it. It didn't matter. And it was like, people like, this is spicy. This is delicious. I mean, now you need to go to Long Point and go have Korean barbecue. You need to go to H Mart and walk down the aisles. You need to go see the Korean culture in this city, right? Go have some stew. That's important. And so, you know, as you walked into the restaurant, it was important that we had a map, right? And we still have this map at Preserve um, and it's still on the website at Preserve and it changes all the time. Um, but it's, it's 50, it was 50 photos on the wall of, of people that influence us and make us better in life, whether it be through food or music or art or whatever in the city. Right now I have a, it has a zip code on it. And so if you're in that zip code in the city, these are the places you should go see. And so it's our map of the city and it's called Houston love um, and you can pull it up on the preserve website, but it's, it's, uh, you know, now we put it into neighborhoods. Um, but on the check presenter, it says, uh, in essence, thank you so much for coming tonight. We really hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to see you back, but we please request that you go visit at least one or two of these places before you do. And it's like sharing the love in the city. And that's what it's about. We all do this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the, sort of the partnership. Uh, let's ev- bring up everybody and, and have the city grow at the same time. That's a, that's a great idea. Let's say all boats rise together, the tide or whatever. Mm. It's one of those things I, I a pro, like, it's too smart for me to remember. I get the gist, <laughs> man. That's all that matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's interesting because yeah. there's different, uh, you obviously have a very different approach to your, your restaurant. And uh, one of the places, One Fifth, uh, has a rotating theme. Uh, so I guess yeah. uh, things change, you know, you know, from, I guess, if you, every time you could go in, it could be different. So, you know, very different approach. And how did you come up with that? And, you know, how does it work operationally? Stupid, <laughs> stupid, stupid ideas. Uh, basically, I walked through the property with the real estate guns. And uh, when I came out there, like, ooh, we just want you to be there for two years. And I was like, why man? why he's like you you can use the same plates you don't have to do anything and i was like no no bad idea thanks and i kind of just got up and walked off and then i turned around in the middle of it i was like i do five years but i'm going to change the concept every year i want to figure out what i want to do when i grow up and uh i was like uh wait what (laughs) and i and i i just had the conversation with my my wife at the time or my wife uh, at the time she was my fiance, but, uh, and we had the conversation about, um, when do we not work so much? Like what, how, what's the, as we start to get older and go, like, how do we not work at the pass every single night? How do we not work service every single night? And 
So I, I kind of figured that when I told her this idea, she was going to be like, nope, <laughs> not a chance. But she also does PR for me, so for the whole company. Uh, and she's like, this is really smart. No. I was not hoping for that, but I was like, yeah, it is. And so I thought it was something fun, you know, but we also realized that like that was an opportunity for us to change things and like to keep changing because I like to change and, you know, but also made us realize that we needed to not do underbelly anymore and that we needed to shift that into the steakhouse of Georgia James. And we needed to start a little restaurant called UB Preserve to preserve what underbelly was doing. And like it changed the face of the company for sure. And I, and I do, I think it was a really smart idea. It was a smart idea on, on, um, you know, we did steakhouse the first one, cause I never thought I would like to do a steakhouse. So I was like, let's just get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Turns out we like it. Um, and then, uh, romance languages. Uh, cause you know, the conversation was like, I don't ever really cook Italian food, but I understand French cuisine cause I was trained in that in Spanish. I like, so let's just do one that's focused on, on romance languages, French, Spanish, Italian. <clears throat> I still don't like making pasta. Um, it's not my thing. Little raviolis. I have bratwurst for fingers. And so I smash everything. Uh, so delicate is not me. Uh, and then we went into uh, one fifth med focused on Eastern Mediterranean and then Gulf coast. And then through pandemic, we, we figured that we went back to med because it was, it could travel really well for to go. Um, and we had this idea Right before we got shut down, I mean, the plan was we were going to do lightning round, which we were just going to change it whenever the hell we wanted to. Uh, and and that was going to be the last 18 months. We were going to just bam, 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 bam. Um, one day Vietnamese. Three weeks later, we're going to do like red sauce Italian and then Russian and then like whatever. Because I didn't want to walk away from this unique opportunity of a five-year lease to um, – not say that I had like, we didn't do that. We should have done this. We should have done this. We should have tried Thai. We should have done something. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, then actually we were shutting down one fifth and getting ready to flip it to Vietnam. And we got, uh, that's when city shut down. <coughs> so, um, I always feel a little part of me that I'd be sad that we didn't do that, but, um, Maybe one day, but uh, now we're back to, we call it Southern comfort and then we'll see. That's still an ongoing thing right now. Like It is right now. Yeah. So then obviously you mentioned just now that you last few years, you sort of spend less time directly in the kitchen, but more in the business. Uh, is there any mm-hmm. challenges or, uh, you know, advantages that you run into, you know, as you make the transition? I, if I were in the kitchen completely when this pandemic came through, we would have been screwed because I mean, I, I've been able to see the business as a whole and not just focus on food, but see it as a whole. And I think that's been really important. Um, and seeing the growth opportunity of the restaurants at this point has been beneficial. Uh, would I love to get back into a kitchen? Yes. Will that be feasible? No. Um, just cause day-to-day operations is so, you know, like now it's more important about 
having the team grow, you know, and letting them be who they are than just like me saying, cause like I have already done it, you know, mm-hmm. did it, you know, 25 years of cooking. I'm good. Like now it's hopefully 25 years of just like helping other people ac- accomplish their goals, mm-hmm. you know, mentoring and making sure the businesses work. And I think that's more important having the vision. Are there any specific things that you've maybe learned or, uh, you know, difficulties you overcame that you can share? Yeah, the whole year. <laughs> that pivot thing. Whee! Um, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, you see things and you have to do things and you have to um, put people around you. You know, the before, I think that the people around you weren't as, like, they were very important, but now it's so important. Um you know, because it was like, I'll just cook my way out of it. And now I can't do that. Right? I have to think about how does this work? How does this work? So it made me um, not be so much of a manager or a boss at a thousand feet, but more close down. Right. I can see it better. Uh, I can see how things work. And, you know, I have people around me that tell me, like, hey, that ain't working. I'm like, OK, let's go look at it. You're right. It's not. Let's fix it. So it's not always just me. Yeah, so sort of a different way of thinking almost. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you mentioned, uh, I guess Houston, Texas as a whole, obviously a lot of challenges past, past couple of years, um, you know, a lot of, lot of things really to count, uh, but uh, you're, you have a Southern Smoke Foundation that has been very f- helpful throughout you know, these challenges, you know, yeah. uh, the hurricanes, uh, you supported the restaurant workers, uh, you know, COVID relief, you know, cross country, not just in Houston area. Uh, you know, tell us about a little bit uh, what you've done with the foundation. Why is it important to you? So the foundation, we started five oh man, six years ago now. Was it 2015? Yeah, six years ago. I've got to quit saying five. Um, a friend of mine was diagnosed with MS and asked me if we could do a dinner to raise some money for the foundation. And I was like, well, I don't want to just put $5,000 into the foundation. We got to make an, an impact. We have to make a, a, a purpose of why. Hmm. Um, and so all of a sudden we ended up doing this festival, right? It's long story short, it was supposed to be a small dinner and then it turned into a backyard barbecue and then it turned into a thousand person festival. And like, I was like, I'm going to raise a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to donate a hundred thousand dollars as a team. And I said, don't, 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 don't say that, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I believe that if you don't say something, it won't happen. Uh, so you at least have to put it out there. Uh, and we raised 180, we actually, I shouldn't say we raised, we donated $181,000 that first year. And then year two, we had some more chefs come in from around the country and we did this backyard barbecue thing again. We shut down the streets. Um, and we raised 200 donated 284,000. Um, and it was funny because it was like, we weren't really sm- smart about it. Right. We learned a lot. Because <laughs> we were just basically flying by the seat of our pants because uh, it was like, okay, like literally like the day before Southern Smoke was like, okay, bathrooms are going to cost this much. Food costs this much. Um, fencing this much. Tents this much. Okay, now we kind of figure out what we have. And so they would subtract all of the things and then it would leave like 10 bucks in the bank account. <laughs> I was like, I hope there's no more invoices, please. Because it was like the goal. Nobody makes money on this. We just make sure we're giving it away. Like that's, we're just a vehicle for that. 
And then year three, we're about a month out and Hurricane Harvey comes through and uh, sitting in the restaurant. And I started getting text messages from some friends around the country. of like, how do we take care of people in the industry? There isn't. There wasn't a way. There's J.J. Watts Foundation, which we don't know where that was going at the time. There's the Mayor's Fund, where we didn't know where that was going at the time. And Red Cross, like, it's never going to see the hands of a cook. It's never going to see the hands of a dishwasher. So um, I figured out a way to um, put an application process together where there would be a vetting committee, made sure like insurance and like that they actually did work in the industry and they could prove that. I mean, it's not that hard, but it became a lot of paperwork, but it's fine. That's what it's supposed to be. Um, and then it went through a vetting committee and an awards committee. Um, and we took in 250 applications and we granted 139 families, five, half a million, half a million dollars, um, that first year. And it was such a cool thing. Right. And I'll never forget. Catherine walks up and hands me a stack of envelopes. And I was like, what is this? She's like, uh, these are all the checks that are going out to help all these people. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I was like, let's get them to the post office. Let's go, you know, get these people some money. Um, and so, you know, we changed the focus of the foundation. We still kept taking care of MS Society, but uh, really moved into a hospitality relief fund. Um, and when COVID came through, it was one of those things of like, we just happened to really, I mean, that's what we've been doing. And so, um, it kind of just shot out of a cannon overnight. You know, we had two employees and we went to 40 employees, uh, most of them contract workers, but like caseworkers, people that have been in the industry or waiters or uh, cooks that like got furloughed or laid off and, you know, give them an hourly job that they could work at and not really worry too much. But it was, uh, you go back to that 250 applications. We're well over 35,000 applications at this point. Um, and it's gone nationwide and we've been able, I don't know the exact number today, but, um, you know, it's, uh, over, over five and a half million dollars since last March and 3000 families. Um, but you know, since day one, we've been able to, as of today, Southern smoke has granted a total of $6.4 million, uh, or six, $6 million to the food and beverage individuals since the crisis started. Wow. And now we have a Chicago fund as well that has $4 million in it and they're 1.35 million right now. So uh, that's just crazy. Right? Really a national achievement that way. Yeah. It's, um, you know, that was the goal is let's take care of everybody. Let's take care of our industry. Cause you know, I don't think we all realize how fragile of an egg the hospitality industry is. And so it got cracked a little bit. Now we just got to figure out how to not let that happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. I mean, obviously, a lot of stats come out um, saying a lot of the restaurants will be closed and you know difficult to reopen. So that's what you're doing is obviously a, a tremendous service to the to the uh, country and everyone that that is in the industry. Yeah. Um, in the 2020, obviously turbulent year, or the past year, tough year for everybody, and, and busy one for you as well, personally. I guess. Uh, you know, going through some of the stuff that I, I read, uh, you know, you got a false diagnosis of COVID, yeah. you for a wedding, uh, 
you start preparing fruits at grocery stores and, you know, obviously closing, opening restaurants, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, how was that experience and, uh, you know, what's in store this year for you? Hopefully not that shit again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with that. I agree. Uh, I agree hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, the, we had to do one trip in October. Um, I had to go do a dinner that I committed to. And when we got back, I was like, let's just all go get tested and make sure we're good. Man, I'm sitting there and like, boop, positive. I was like, oh, whoa, I got to go. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and my doctor kept calling me. He's like, you feeling all right? I was like, yeah, I don't feel anything. He's like, all right, come back in two days. Um, come back in three days. And I just kept negative, negative, negative. And, and he couldn't figure it out. And he was like, you are one of the only, he's like, you have no symptoms whatsoever. I was like, none. He's like, you are one of the 1% that have a false positive. And I was like, well, that sucks. Cause you know, the world thinks I have it. No. So even to this day, people, how did you feel? I was like, I never had it, man. They only read the first thing. They don't read the second thing, which is fine. You know, I was very lucky. Um, and, and so that's good. Right. Uh, and the grocery store stuff, we learned a lot with that and getting married was, you know, I told her on Christmas day, we're getting married tomorrow. And she was like, okay. You know, so it was super fun, but, um, this year, I think we just got to look at it and I see that we're coming out a little bit, you know, the vaccines are more prevalent here. Um, I know they're not everywhere else, but in Houston, it seems to be like they're rolling through it pretty quickly, which is great. Um, you know, that was the biggest fight was getting all of our staff, you know, like pulling strings, you know, just to like, you know, if, cause you know, our government, our governor was like, okay, hundred percent, no mass, let's go. And it was like, uh, nope, 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 nope. Um, and you know, so we said, we'll do that eventually when we feel like our staff has had the chance to, uh, and to have a vaccination. And so they all have, and. Uh, you know, now it's like I keep getting emails from the hospital like, hey, do you want a vaccine? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've already done it. Thanks. Give it to somebody else, please. Um, and so, you know, I think that we'll grow and we see a lot of opportunity. And I think a lot of things changed. I think real estate people started to understand that they couldn't do what they were doing before. Um, high rents don't really work anymore. Like, I think we all took a look at things and said, hey, that square footage price isn't going to work anymore. And you got to get into a collaboration or a unit that like people that didn't give rent relief during last year. I don't think I think they're going to have a whole lot of problems trying to rent locations now that restaurants didn't make. So um, I think it's, it's opened our eyes to a lot of things. All right. You know, and how do you how do you how do you work in a, a post covid world? Right. How does that work? How big does the patio and does it have to be now? Right. Because now you got to think about that. Like what happens if this rears its head again, it goes into a different way and we're shut down except for patios. Like now we have to make sure that we have patios. That's, that's in a business model now. Um, When in Houston, Texas, you didn't, you were like a small patio is just fine, but now it's like, "Mm, I need to have a bigger one because people still want to sit outside. So that's how you have to look at things a little bit differently. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I'm in Ontario, the province, and uh, we had a bunch of, like any other government back and forth, you know, open, close, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, they were allowing uh, patio dining a while back, even though it's cold here, really still, but, um, you know, they've sort of recently shut it down again. So there's a lot of policy, you know, changes that way. 
Um, in general, what do you see is any sort of food-wise, any ch changes or trends coming in um, this year, 2021, or moving forward as well? I think you got to stick to like the casual, comfortable. Like, I mean, we're working on doing a, a, a takeout market now, like almost our own the underbelly hospitality grocery store, um, if you will. You know, I think there's still a lot of, I think this for the next year, year and a half, I think we're still going to be in a tight little unit where uh, when we do things, it's like, does it need to be that opulent? Does it need to be, um, you know, what does food look like now? I think it's going to be the biggest question, right? Like, what is it? How do we feel about it? Like, what are people willing to do? Right. Because at the end of the day, like most people didn't have a job. Right. So like, do we need to do a more casual concept? Do, you know, do we, how do we cheat to that line? Is it more comfortable food? Like, what is it? So mm -hmm. that's, that's the biggest questions we ask all the time. Right. Yeah. A lot of the, uh, restaurateurs that I talked to had the same, you know, challenge as far as maybe delivery. How do you make sure that the quality is still there once you, you know, travel, I don't know, like half an hour or even longer to someone else's house? How does that look? Or like yeah. to your point, you know, is it a shift to more casual? How does the model work that way? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, and I think that we'll, you know, restaurant people figure things out pretty easily. You know, once once somebody does it, like, ooh, that's a good idea. Let's do that, you know. But we have to, there's so many things we have to look at now. To-go packaging is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that restaurants are good at is to, you know, change ideas and, and move directions quickly that way, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, last couple questions, uh, you know, for yourself, what is your favorite food in general? And uh, in terms of your restaurant as well, what's your go-to item? At our restaurants to go to item, uh, or just in general, you know, and also just your restaurants. And I can bond me. I really do. Or, yeah, I like I can bond me. I like crawfish a lot. Um, I like crawfish and noodles. We did a crawfish boil here on Sunday at the house. Uh, but if I could eat Vietnamese every day, I probably would. Or. Um, a place called High King that does a shrimp and scrambled egg dish that I really love. I could do that pretty much every day as well. Uh, but as far as the restaurants go, that's a really good question. I don't know. Like picking a favorite really kid, like right? Our, I guess. <laughs> I love. Uh, yeah, it is. I can't do it. If I say one, then I'm kind of screwed because the other's going to hear it and be like, "Oh, all right, you really?" You know. So, um, I just enjoy the experience that I think that we have at each one of our restaurants. They're all completely different and they offer so many different things to so many different people. And so I like that aspect, you know, I like that a lot. I don't want to keep doing this. I mean, we will at some point find a level of consistency and like, try and work on one thing, but I don't really want to do that right now. Um, yeah. Nice. I think it's, that's part of the, um, the good thing about owning these different restaurants is that you get to do these different things and sort of find out which works, which doesn't work or things you can improve on that way. Right. Yep. Nice. Uh, 100%. Yeah. So I guess uh, I, that's all the questions I have. Do you have anything else you're, you're working on? You can share with us or. <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of stuff working on. Anything you share? What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we're in for a few restaurants this year just to to work on some things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we got we're you know making a, a 
smaller version of Georgia James and calling it Georgia James Tavern, more relaxed atmosphere. And I think that's kind of goes back to what we said a few minutes ago. Um, then there's going to be wild oats, which is going to be a uh, new look at Texas cuisine, um, which I think is going to be super fun. So, and then a market. Oh, and the market is uh, both, I guess. It's going to be called underbelly pantry. Okay. So both cooked foods and uh, sort of more grocery style things? Uh, more like grab and go type things. You can just pop it in the oven, but then also a lot of pastry work and ice creams and um, some of our stuff that we already do, marinades, kits, things like that. Nice. That's the one thing. Just like, yeah. Yeah. Just having somebody come in and like be able to grab and go and go, you know, feed their family pretty quickly. But I think that still works. <laughs> That's the one thing that I, uh, up, up here in the north, the one thing that I really envy is if you guys down south is you have the weather, so you have like the, you have all the produce pretty much year round, and obviously you guys close to the ocean as well, so that's like, a, you know, fresh seafood, yep. things like that. And in Texas, you got beef, you guys got beef and cattle. Lots of beef. Lots of beef, but man, our shrimp coming out the best. I'm just telling you, Gulf shrimp, something about it. That's the one thing I miss. I'm from Hong Kong originally, so that's like, that's my, that's my thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Shrimp, crabs. Come on. Nice. Little blue crabs are delicious. Right. Can't go wrong for sure. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, uh, Chef. Uh, well, thank you, sir. And, uh, you know, hopefully when we can travel, I'll come down to Houston to visit you guys. And, uh, you know. You let us know. All out. right. Yeah. Love to have you down. Love to show you the, our, our world in here. For sure. And then we'll, we'll maybe hit up a little cold spots and, uh, you know, you show me around that way. I will. Right on. You got it. All right, man. Thanks, Be good. All right. Stay warm. Yeah, thanks. You guys uh, stay safe. Stay safe. See you later. Thank you. Right. Bye.